You're listening to Ink Studs, and our guest this week is Connor Williamson. Uh, Connor is visiting us from Montreal. Right now we're sitting in Brandon Graham's living room. Hello, Brandon. Robin. Connor. And we also have Simon Ryan. Sorry, Jess, I don't know your last name. That's okay. It's Jess Pollard. There we go. Watching us. (laughs) (laughs) Just staring. Just staring. Um, Thanks, Connor, for... Coming to Brandon's living room. Oh, obviously it's my pleasure. Um, some folks will be familiar with Connor's work from uh, most recently uh, Treasure Island from Breakdown Press. Um, a Damo Suzuki uh, comic that he did with Zach Soto. And um, the comic you did for the Nib about your time working on uh, Wolverine. As well as a plethora of other various mini-comics. Um, Right Award nominee, or did you win? Uh, no, I've been nominated a few times. No, yeah, I've been won the, the hat thing derby. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yeah, well, that's how it is. It's okay. I don't know if you'd really want to wear the hat out in public. Well, you know, they ask me for a size, I tell them a slightly bigger size because I think it would look better if it's like just like kind of over the ears a bit. Yeah, I like that. that. Now I'm just going to completely believe it's an actual hat. So no, no, it is. It's a hat. Oh, yeah. Yes, they yes give you it's like a bowler a, hat. Give you like a sort of yeah. I think it's a bowler, with like, like a. I think it's got a gold seal like right on the front. And they ask all the nominees what their hat sizes are ahead of time. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I think is that the one you're nominated for, Simon, or are you nominated for new talent? I I don't remember. I think it's. I hope it's not new. T- it is. <laughs> no, because I've I've been nominated before for that great stuff. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. I think it. No Comics wouldn't work if you didn't get nominated for a new talent like ten years into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you in town for anything specific? Uh, yeah. Um, I was in Victoria for the uh, uh, Elaine Champlain and uh, Kristen Wright's uh, comic color gang class they have at this like wonderful anarchist bookstore this is in victoria and they're from nanaimo so i came over for that um and then i came down here to like uh meet up with a bunch of old friends a lot of people i went to school with are living in vancouver now now you went to acad the alberta college of art and design yeah that's where i did my bachelor's was in acad graduated in 2008 i believe did you at that point where you wanted to focus on comic stuff by the end i was um yeah, I sort of like was always into comics and doing comics, and when I went to ACAD, I started getting interested in other things, and then was sort of led down the, the like curriculum path of design and illustration, which was mostly commercially oriented, and then um, through that, like came back around to comic books because it was kind of like a way of sidestepping that slightly. Mm-hmm. And that's where Simon went. And I think did Jillian Tamaki go there too? She did. There we go. So I'm, so I'm really interested talking. in how. If if you had kind of an interest in fine art before going to school, because I feel like your work is very, um, your your personal work feels like it's almost a fine art approach to comic books. Mm. Um, no, I, I mean, I was interested in like maybe the attitude that fine art has, but I wasn't specifically interested in fine art. Like I honestly didn't have a lot of access to it, and I like I didn't understand it. Um, I did have this one great teacher in high school whose name is Mr. Chung. Uh, and he was, like, really hard on me about, like, drawing, like, Spider-Man and stuff like that. Like, he was really, like, like, 
like stop like fucking around with that stuff like do this do that he was like kind of showing me some things and it was like hard for me to digest at the time but like the sentiment really like appealed to me like the sentiment of like what he was trying to get me to do and to like sort of like negate my own interests so I wasn't like looking at fine artists but I think like I was like picking up like what the disposition was or something and that was appealing to me at the time it's like a conceptual approach than necessarily a linear approach yeah it's like i just there just wasn't like a lot of like books lying around that i could look at or something like you know i heard of like at the time it was like all about andy warhol that was like popular again at the time and i wasn't like particularly interested in looking at it but like i was sort of like picking up like what the whole deal was you know it was just i just never had like access at the time but like something about the sentiment appealed to me so was that the kind of work that he was showing is to you yeah kind of i don't quite remember it was like yeah a lot of andy warhol it was like a lot of like you know, this is what you can do with, like, images that already exist and stuff like that. And I was, like, not doing it, like, myself in the class or anything. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, like, taking. But, like, I, like looking back in, like, retrospect, I was, I was, like, thinking about that thing. And, like, it was having an effect on me. Even though I was, like, you know, doing, you know, my usual, like, doodling sketchbook stuff, basically. Uh, and, like, yeah, it was just, like, he introduced this sort of, like, line of thought. Like, that's general and vague and specific that appealed to me. Right. Like a sort of contrarian attitude, which I got from like other people too. But and I think that sort of applies to the fine arts on some level. It's like this constant like contrarian like, cyclical attitude. Okay, and you something. don't think that existed uh, in your in your head before? It it did. Like you know, I have some like family members and stuff who okay. like, influenced me who are like pretty like come from like a pretty like like uh, contrarian like argumentative family in like a positive way. And I think like fundamentally that's like basically it. Right. You know, so I'm like attracted to those cycles, I guess. So what kind of stuff were you doing? Were you doing many comics while you were at art school? Near, near, near the end I was. Um, but, you know, they were like pretty vaguely about nothing, you know, like we would have, a, like I would use them to like circumvent having to do like a real commercial project. Like a lot of our projects were like do an ad for Cadillac or like Amazon, like, you know, stuff. And at the time I was like, it's like getting pretty like fed up with that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I found if I just did like a weird comic and then like at the end, put like Amazon or whatever like it would go over pretty well I got to do a comic take the name off afterwards and I would like have a nice little comic is that like that's pretty much like your Red Bull comic was right yeah <laughs> yeah basically yeah I mean yeah that's it were we having talking to the other night we had Josh Simmons around we were talking about an ad thing with him I'm trying to remember what it was I have no memory Feel like I made a reference to a Neubauten song where they did a Jordash ad and there's just like this grinding metal and then they end Jordash it's jeans Jordash is a jeans co yeah yeah well get this I had to do a radio ad at a visual art school for jeans like, a, like an audio ad like really like no visual attached yet that was like sort of my lowest ad at the time I was like getting pretty late did they did it's like really focused on like you need to find a job in advertising kind of like there's four streams there's like uh let me think there's like graphic design advertising illustration and then like character design which is more like conceptual stuff for video games and you sort of have to take all of them so like you know going in you know you have to take some like advertising classes but at some points it was like you know radio ad for jeans like i don't know about this like i don't know like what i'm getting <laughs> out of this i'm kind of surprised that that's your school environment because um a lot of your work feels really, I don't know, is conceptual the right word for it? You know, I was thinking of specifically the, the shadow stuff you did in China. Oh, yeah. Um, like, how would you describe that? Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, 
I don't think of it as like too conceptual. It's kind of like playful or something, or like figuring what I what what I can do with like limited resources. Like when I was in China, I was trying to do like a drawn scroll. Like I was there to like look at scrolls. I was studying them at the time, and I intended on doing like a drawn scroll, and I、mm. did one, but I just thought it like sucked, and I like had to do something, you know. And I was like, oh, what can I do?、Uh, so、I、just kind of like figured something out, but it just seemed like resourceful and playful, like. It wasn't too like explicitly conceptual on like the front end, I think. Right. But like as it developed, it was like okay, like this kind of work and just kind of like came up. I thought it was really interesting how it's presented on your website because it doesn't really. There's no,、uh, you know, a big part of of the the end of fine art that annoys me is is there's kind of a large description about a thing、oh, yeah. next to it, and and that your thing I had to actually look up. You talking about what it was on a totally separate website to <laughs> figure out what it was. It just seemed like an interesting, like like watercolor gradation. Right. Yeah. Some people thought it was like photos of clouds and stuff. You know, which might as well be, I guess. Yeah.、Whatever. Right. And it's especially interesting in contrast to everything else there being a very,、uh, you know, comic booky. Yeah.、Um, but a lot of that is me like wanting to find like, you know, I'm really interested in the web and like how comics are displayed on the web. So like. And that specific one, I was like really adamant coming up with this like good horizontal scroll system that、right. like functioned really nicely. It took like a long time to do that, and like, yeah, part of that project was like getting that done and like figuring out how to do that. Well, you also posted a really interesting video recently. The, the,、uh, was it a teacher going over the difference in isometric perspective with,、um, in in Chinese scrolls, before、oh. European influence and then after influence European influence with、yep. the actual like.、Um, Horizon perspective. Yeah, I, I, I think what you're talking about is where David Hockney's doing like a tour of a scroll. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's like looking at the scroll called uh, uh, the video is called Day on the Grand Canal with the Emperor of China. Yeah, and he's like looking at these like alternative way of like seeing quote unquote like three dimensional space like before it had like a Western influence.、Right. And I got into that stuff reading a book that's a conversation between David Hockney and Paul Joyce, where they're sort of like waxing on that stuff and. Uh, that's how he kind of came up with his like photo splicing collage thing,、hmm. um, and it was it's like a really interesting conversation, and it plays into that whole like all these like camera obscure discussions and like um, like uh, what is the most like significant or like what is the most like、uh, what's the word I'm looking for like the most like real image like people have agreed that like the photographic image is like the the most realistic type of image. Huh, yeah, because I mean, in that video, some of what he was talking about was almost the people's like cultures,、um, ways of thinking were being changed by the way that their art was being presented to them. Yeah, there was an interesting theory that like one of those two guys brought up. I don't know if it was in that video or in the book. I can't quite remember. I think maybe Paul Joyce said it. Where he has an idea. It's not really like founded on anything. It just like occurred to him that. When they became like interested in like one point perspective, that was also the point in time where、um, their like military prowess was starting to increase. And his idea was that like since military、um, like design and like measurement systems are based on like a single point, and like measurements are very like specific into the distance, and like sort of all focused in like military is like focused on one point, like the gun barrel basically.、Right. This like sort of has this like trickle down effect into culture where like. The science influences like the art, and then like culturally, like these like specific like spatial schematics and like fixed points of view become like more important than this like weird all-seeing perspective from like every angle type、right. of thing. So he thinks there's like this trickle down from like military into like art. I mean, he didn't have like 
a basis for saying that it was just like a fun idea he had. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Just in the idea that if you're doing, you know, horizon, I don't even know what you call it, horizon-based perspective, you're, um, it's almost like doing math at a certain point because you're ruling out everything and then the isometric stuff would be, you know, kind of looking like RPG top-down mm-hmm. stuff. It's almost like... Uh, you know, they're just like it's more guessing about what kind of looks good. Right. Yeah. It's a bit. It's a bit like I remember doing the like how to draw comics the Marvel way perspective, like doing what they said, and it like invariably like looked like garbage. It never looked good. You like always had to cheat in the end to make it look right. like anything. When you did your scroll, did you um, did you do it with accurate perspective or? And oh, the one that I was drawing. No, yeah. I was trying to do just like eyeballing style and like okay. changing scale, like. Um, things are more important or bigger, like so a building in the distance, which is the same size as a building in the foreground, might mm-hmm. appear bigger depending, you know, just like feeling it out. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and I think the Chinese stuff is it's not like specifically asymmetric because they do weird things, they'll show like two sides of the same wall and stuff. Yeah, like, that's, that's kind of why I meant it's not like as math because I remember in the in the video you posted, yeah, there was a thing where a bridge was at a totally different angle than the building it was next to, just so. Yeah you could the viewer could almost get the the feel of crossing it and seeing the other side of a building yeah and i think you could see like both entrances of the bridge which is weird like yeah generally you only see one side of a bridge at a time and kind of amazingly it doesn't look weird yeah that's the thing it's like it completely works and it, i think it has a lot to do with how you look at a scroll um i've never looked at a scroll in person like that i've always wanted to look at one I've, i'm hoping to look at that one actually because it's for some reason that scroll that he's looking at is in edmonton i don't know why is it just something they just hand to... I was surprised that, you know, some ancient Chinese scroll was just something that, that someone was thumbing all over without gloves on or anything. Yeah, but yeah, but you're also sort of supposed to. I mean, like, they don't, like, work in... Like, I've been trying to see one for a long time, and you can't see them in museums. Like, they're sort of meant to be viewed privately and, like, alone, not being rushed. So you can really, like, casually, like, lackadaisically, like, go through it as if you're, like, walking. Like, that's the way they're meant to be seen. And, you know, like, I don't think... It's, like, hard to understand them fully, I think, unless you're able to do that somehow. That video is, like, the closest thing I've seen. What was the interest, kind of that initial interest, to go and dive into this and, like, go to China? Um, well, I mean, like, I have read that book, and, like, obviously, the, like, retrospectively seemingly obvious idea that, like, Western perspective is kind of bullshit in terms of, like, being the one and all, it was mm-hmm. obviously, like, really appealing. And I didn't, you know, I, like, I sort of heard that and stuff like that and like understood that like basically but didn't understand there was like a like a historical precedence for it and like an area of study for it um and then i like read this book and like it led to like a lot there's a lot of other interesting books on the subject but the just the chinese scrolls offer like a particularly like illustrative case study for it i mean obviously there's like a lot of weird perspective in our history mm-hmm. but that particular one shows like a weird like kind of adaptive one in a way that others aren't like it'll change depending on the scene whereas most other ones have like a sort of system in place have there ever been any other kind of particular art movements that you dove into to that extent um probably like probably like not as much like i'm sort of more interested in it historically than i am visually maybe like if i'm gonna try to do a scroll like that it's probably not gonna like look like a chinese painting at all you know i'm not gonna like get the the ink and brush out or anything necessarily you know it's like more like historically interested in like how these things occur and like how like suddenly everyone will just decide like this is like the most authentic thing or not you know like it's sort of like arbitrary and i like to like imagine the alternatives maybe um and i think it has a lot to do with comics too it's like a convenient 
way to study comics because like the sequence is like inherent in it mm-hmm. and like having like perspective change as you look there's like automatically sort of like sequence in there right i noticed in your comics um i, w- I was wondering how much of uh, film was influential on your stuff because a lot of specifically your um what's that one the calgary uh death milks the cow yeah death milks the yeah. cow. that one's fantastic and I, it almost feels like um it's coming more from film than from comics. Yeah. Well, the title is a reference to a movie. Uh, I actually forget the title. Uh, it's like something. What is it? It might just be called Death Rides a Horse. Okay. Maybe I don't. Maybe it doesn't have the preface, but it's like an old spaghetti western. It might be like Kabuchi or something right. like that. It's like Lee Van Cleef, you know. Uh, but yeah, like I'm pretty interested in film. It like my interest like goes off and on. Like these days, I haven't I haven't watched any in like a really long time, but. Yeah, I like to read about film. Obviously, there's like a lot to take from it from comic books. Um, hopefully, like not too much to take. You know, sometimes like that's the risk. Right, but I, I think I'm, where I'm coming from in that is that it, it feels almost like your specific, your paneling and a lot of yeah. and a lot of that stuff feels. It doesn't feel like you're coming from from comic books. It feels really um, nicely organic in a way that it actually looks like you've. Um, it's a different eye. Yeah, it feels like more drawn from life. It doesn't feel like you've got a bunch of spider-man comics out on your desk when you're working oh yeah okay um yeah well, i think like comics appealed to me that are like that and but yeah that one you mentioned i think is like particularly cinematic and there are like comic books that just like feel cinematic but they're not like really using the rules of like cinematics like the, right. the akira comic books is like re- weirdly feels like a 90s action movie kind of like it even like predates the movies that it feels like right certainly. a bit which is really odd to me but it's not like using like widescreen panels excessively or anything. It's oh yeah, I remember like, interview with you complaining about this. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I don't like those. So it's like, surprising that those are still going on because that was like a Warren Ellis trick to get people to. It's just amazing. I think it's just a way of like, it's like filler. It's like you have like four widescreen panels and like three little bits of dialogue. It takes up a whole page. It's like that right. could that could be accomplished in like a small panel in the corner. That's yeah. That's Garth Ennis and the decompressed storytelling yeah but something their whole marvel thing all right we do everything in six issue chunks (laughs) yeah and it's gonna make a trade paperback and i was interested in talking about this stuff but i almost feel like it's it's a little bit of a waste of your time to complain like we know marvel shitty yeah but but like yeah something that i thought was really interesting going through your work for higher work is how much they don't seem to use your strengths at all like obviously like i think you draw excellently but just having you illustrate something it, it, like you illustrating the the Punisher comic or your Wolverine stuff, it like takes it's all of your experimental stuff and your personal work is is completely gone from it. Well, yeah, but they might also be like I don't know what they were looking at when they hired me. You know, like they could have just been looking at my illustrations for all I know. For all I know, they couldn't. They didn't look at certain comics. Like I honestly don't know why they hired me. So when they when they do, like they were contacting me when I was like quite young about something and it didn't pan out. But right. obviously they had like something on file. Or, like, someone had sent something, like, probably something from my art school days, which was, like, probably a lot less experimental. You know, like... Right. So who knows what they were looking at. But when I work for them, I just kind of, like, hedge my bets and, like, do the best I can within that. And, like, sometimes, you know, it works or I get fired or I quit or, like, all these things happen. But I just, like, do the best I can in the right spot. Yeah, I was surprised that here you did entire issues that just didn't go to print. Yeah, I did like I started a, like a whole series for a, a Wildstorm before it went out with like Kurt Busiek and they just kind of were like, uh, it's like it doesn't quite like look like our style, I guess. Like we're just gonna 
they were gonna like get another artist to like do the first eight issues instead and push the two issues I had done like as specials near the back and then they just didn't do it all together. Yeah, so it was like so you've got two issues of comics. Yeah, like sitting in a drawer. Some DC comics just like floating around out there. Yeah. Right, but is your approach to work for higher stuff? Is it like do you prefer to be less emotionally invested or is it? Um. Well, it's just like. I don't know. It's like, I, I think of it as like a great place to experiment sort of because, you know, when, like if they fire me, I'm not in like a worse position really. Like, it's like, what's the worst that could happen if like things go bad working on like a commercial book? I get like right. fired and then I'll have like more time to work on something else. A big deal. So I'm like, I'll just like push it as hard as I can like at the time. And if it doesn't work out, like I'm not really at a loss or something. So it's like, I'm emotional, but like doing like work that I'm proud of and like mm-hmm. having it come out. And which is why these like problems occur, but you know that's my attitude. It's like, it's like this is a good time to like practice and like I don't have a lot to lose anyway. So like, like what's the best case scenario if like I have like a great career for like commercial comics? Like, like I get old and become irrelevant one day and like they treat me poorly and like like right. abuse me. Like, <laughs> this sound familiar, Brandon? Well, no, it's, I mean, yeah, very much so. But but it it is interesting how. Um, uh, you know, like I was telling you earlier before we started this interview that I, looking through your body of work, I was really surprised at how much of it I'd read and didn't realize they were all done by the same person because mm. a lot of that stuff, it's, it feels like such completely different worlds. You're doing a Punisher comic and you're doing like study group work. Mm. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's almost like different parts of the brain. I don't even know if it's a different part of the brain. Is, I mean, obviously that's a question for you, but but I would guess that it's not different parts of the brain as much as um I, I don't know it's hard for me to see it as anything but wasting your time yeah well it's, it's fun for me like i enjoy it like i enjoy working this was very pretty yeah but to me it's like almost like role-playing or something bizarre like it like i find it like amusing and fun like i sort of like can't do it if it's not like amusing on some level i think like emotionally i'm too sensitive that way i'll get like depressed pretty easily if i'm not like into it so i like know when i have to leave and i like just feel like i'm like role-playing as like a like a marvel comics artist or whatever right like, what would i do if, if i was a marvel you know because i look at these things and i like complain about what i see i'm like okay well what would i do then or something and i just like see what i can do within that so that was never a direction that you expected to take your art i mean it was at a time you know like it wasn't when they actually hired me yeah yeah, like, there were times in my life, like, especially when I was a kid, that I thought that would be, like, really great, you know? But growing up, like, certain things happened, like, interactions with the industry that, like, s- kind of soured that. And, like, the more you learn about it, the more it doesn't, doesn't even seem practical. Like, sort of the only thing it ever had going for it was that it was, like, a practical way to make money as a cartoonist. But even that, it's, like, it didn't seem like a very good long-term plan, even. But it's so interesting, because like, I feel like at this point, the way the comic industry is now, that um, I feel like your work... Um, given to the audience, your personal work would do better than than hiring you to do Wolverine. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I should I should like to think so. You know. <laughs> well, it's, it's just interesting. Um, like I, I was wondering, is your um, look at the name of it? Is is your, uh, your your recent comic that you did for for uh, Soto's um, the study group the, one? the study group one? Was that in relation to? Uh, and I wrote down the name of it here, and I'm. The comic Sunset People. Yeah, Sunset People. Was that was that at all like you dealing with with mainstream comics or anything? Because there's a superhero in that, and it feels very um, 
not not cynical, but it seems like it's it's a little like, um, you know, you have a hero in there that the, the main character is not particularly enjoying interacting with. Yeah, well, superheroes are funny. So like, you know, if I make a decision like, uh, I'm gonna put like any of these influences behind me, like basically mainstream comics, which is what I grew up reading, which comprises of superheroes. And obviously, like, now it's, like, hard to, like, look anywhere without seeing, like, an ad for Avengers 2 or something like that. It's just, like, all over the place. You know, so I want to, like, just... Generally, I have the urge to, like, reject it, like, wholeheartedly, but I also think that's kind of, like, a dishonest, like, worldview. Like, if I'm, like, making comics and, like, dealing with culture, it seems, like, dishonest to, like, disregard something, like, a superhero or as, like, as the whole, like, as a whole. Like, I try to imagine, like, I'm, like, uh, an alien coming to Earth and, like, looking at a... What I'm seeing in culture and like using the artifacts in the content and like if I just would like ignore this whole bizarre thing of like superheroes it would be like you know it would be like a bit dishonest like it would be like pretending I don't actually see these bus ads and stuff right. like that it's like I have to like deal with it on some level of, like amongst all the other things I intend to deal with. Does it feel like a part of comics at that point or, or more like a part of um just culture as a whole yeah I, th- I think about it these days especially as like culture as a whole i used to think about it as like more of a personal thing so it's like i read these comics they, they influenced me but yeah now it's like clear that you know kids are like interested in like captain america which is like shocking to me like never would have guessed that like he would be like really cool and like everyone loves him people, right like, so many people wearing t-shirts on the street you know it's like completely ubiquitous and like it used to i used to think of his personal but yeah it's just such like a great broad thing in culture now it's like immense you know when i was in china i was like a resident at this museum this like contemporary art museum it was gigantic it's like living in it. it was like pretty much empty and they had like a movie theater there, like showing like x-men and spider-man and there's like a contemporary art museum you know? oh, bizarre <laughs> yeah bizarre indeed. what was the rationale behind that was it just i don't know well i think in those movies they do that thing where they like have like a Chinese portion of the film for like Chinese audiences like X-Men had like a famous Chinese actress in it uh, Spider-Man had like a special scene that they shot for Chinese audiences so oh, that so they can get released in China so the Chinese government's like oh yeah this is a good movie do they play those at all in the American release or are they no no well some of them are different some like I think Spider-Man had whole other scenes whereas X-Men it's just like they hired a famous actress to play like a minor character okay. in it you know stuff and they shot a lot of it in china and stuff like that right just because they're aware of that audience yeah so they're like deliberately trying to get their movies into like weird contemporary art museum uh cineplexes <laughs> right <laughs> is doing residencies like that kind of one of the things that keeps you going as a cartoonist having these opportunities because i did a year in white river junction mm-hmm. do you do a full year there yeah i did a full year i was there a year um yeah i was like the a fellow there um was yeah. there another fellow at the same time, or was it just... Not at the same time. Previously, they had two at a time, and I think I may have been the first where they just started doing one at a time, which was, like, a bit of a social experience, frankly. Like, <laughs> to not have, like, a sort of partner in this, like, isolating experience. What does is, what is being a fellow require? Not much. I mean, they were casual about it. Like, you know, I was on the phone with James Sturm about it before I agreed to do it, and I was like, oh, you know, like, what am I obligated to do? And I think I, he, like, sensed a certain hesitation in my voice. Like, I didn't, right. And he's like, well, you know, like, you know, like I know how cartoonists are. I'm not going to, like, ride your ass or anything. So just, like, do your thing. So they were pretty open, and they just, like, trusted that I would, like, use my time valuably, hmm. which I did in, like, ways I wouldn't normally if I felt like I had to complete a project. Like, I did a lot of reading and research as opposed to just making pages, you know. So I, I'm really happy I didn't feel this, like, pressure to just, like, produce tons of pages all the time. Huh, that is good. How, how does research play into your work? 
Um, well, I just sort of like doing it. I mean, at first it was just like a pastime. Like I like reading and then I sort of got more into like nonfiction and I got into like art criticism and I just liked it. And then I just realized I was doing like sort of research almost like that just happened to be what I was doing. Right. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I didn't really anticipate. It's not like a practical thing. I didn't anticipate it having an effect on my work or anything, but it's proven like really valuable. It like stimulates the way I think about everything I do. Um, and it sort of doesn't even matter what subject I'm researching or whatever. It's just like a healthy thing to do, I think. Right. It's like right. activate something. Yeah. Was there any work in particular that came out of that time in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Um, I did Calgary. I did, I finished Calgary Death Milks. Like how while I was there, I did a comic called Mooncalf while I was there. I did a comic called Mark of the Best while I was there. And... Treasure Island one was near the end where like the grad show was coming up. And I was like, oh my God, I better like have a, like an actual kind of like book looking thing and did that kind of near the end. No, he said it was like kind of isolating experience. Mm-hmm. So did you interact with much of the, the students at that time or? Oh yeah. I interacted with them a lot. I mean, like I think some of them um, took to what I was doing better than others and seemed more interested, uh, but I had like a great relationship for them. And they were like a particularly like, thoughtful group of students uh you know i had experience at other schools and stuff and i didn't really know what to expect there but they had like eclectic interest i was surprised in what they weren't interested in you know like some of them like didn't give a shit about like chris ware and scott mcleod and stuff like that they were kind of like whatever like who cares you know like and they didn't feel like anxiety about that or anything um it was really cool interaction it is really interesting to me the kind of i don't know artistic deities that different scenes put up Mm, yeah, I always think of a, a story where um, a friend of mine ended up at uh, dinner with a bunch of the heads of DC, and um, they were like, "Whatever happened to that that Mazza Kelly guy? He was really good." And then and, <laughs> and they were all just explaining like about rubber blankets to these people that had never heard of it, and they're like, "Why didn't he just come back to Batman Year One?" Yeah, they just thought he like moved to, moved to like Southeast Asia or something. Right. Or, yeah. Or never heard from again. Or, but it, but it's interesting how every See, so what 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 type of stuff were was there did you think was there kind of a unit like it was it um were a lot of the students kind of into collectively like a scene of art or was it all of them that well it was different you know like it's kind of hard to think about now they were interested in like other young artists mostly okay which was great frankly like, is part of that also a bit competitive yeah, I think so. I mean, they didn't have, like, a too negative competition. There wasn't, like, a ton of anxiety flying around because they were, like, in school. Is it, like, DeForge or someone? Yeah, and, like, but not even, like, so intensely and specifically that. Like, that's sort of, like, iconic for, like, youth comics and stuff. Right. But, you know, like, they're friends on Tumblr and stuff. Okay, and, like, those guys are good. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> a lot of, like, manga, you know. Um, and But, you know, they'd have, like, great cartoonists coming in, like, all the time, week by week. Uh, some young guys, some, like, established guys. So mm-hmm. it was, like, I think there was just so much going through and, like, go in the library and read so many different things that it was, like, no one was, like, really nailed down on, like, a very specific influence, which I think oh. was a good thing. Yeah, that sounds like One of the neat things there is also you get to spend a lot of time with uh, Steve Bissett. Oh, yeah, God. Yes. And, like, I wonder, like, because that guy's, like, a living, walking comics museum library establishment and i'm wondering like was there a lot you're able did you apply out of him or just kind of yeah like by osmosis yeah um the one class i sat in on like without fail was his like history of comics class uh yeah he's incredible uh he, he also had a wonderful movie night every wednesday show like a double feature so oh, i was like nice. learning a lot about movies from him too uh, but yeah he was just like a great guy like 
be around, like, very encouraging and, like, yeah, he just knew everything. He knew all, like, the, the good stories, you know, like, the good sort of background stories on everything. He'd always have, like, a good anecdote. Huh, that's good. And, and, and probably interesting because his um, history of comics is probably very different than a lot of the standard conversation about the history of comics. Right, yeah, yeah. It, it is. He went up through, like, the Kubert School kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, like, the second year or first year. Yeah, he might have been even the first, I think, but, like, yeah. really early. Uh, but, yeah, he was, like, really open and, like, he loved checking out, like, what all the students were doing and what they were into, you know? He One day he'd come in with, like, a big pile of Tijuana Bibles or something. And, like, oh, nice. Kind of, like, blow our minds. <laughs> so what about what about your own upbringing, your own kind of growing up in art? Did you have kind of a pantheon of, of favorite artists? Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing interesting. Uh, I, you know, usual... Uh, yeah, David Mazzucchelli was like a, like a seriously major influence on me when I was like twelve or something like that. Like, right. I like copied the entire like Batman Year One. I feel like a million times. Like redraw it, draw it. Um, and like yeah, like the Frank Miller stuff. You know, like I didn't like collect a ton of comics, but like I was really into the ones that I had. Like I had a lot of right. X Men comics and sort of like a hodgepodge mix. And I didn't try to like broaden the collection. I would just like get obsessed <laughs> with like individual issues. How's how's your relationship to that work changed? getting older it's like i can still look at it and enjoy it but like nostalgia doesn't have like a sort of strong effect on me it's sort of like is a deadening thud at times but like i can look at it and appreciate it but like with like let's say use batman your one for example i feel like i'm exhausted like what i'm learning from it and then i can like with him it's great i can like look at his other stuff and like find something there um but i also had like a little bit of like a european thing going on my father grew up in belgium so he had he kind of like knew about Asterix and stuff like that, and like a little bit about Tintin. Right. So I got to like check out a little bit of that. Yeah, you did Frankie Santoro's correspondence mm-hmm. course, and I'm curious about how that leaked in because I can see I was looking at one and I'd forgotten you had done. I'm like, okay, I want to know what Frank uh, has done to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he has done to me uh, in a nice way. I love you, Frank. Yeah, he's got me. Uh, oh yeah, you mentioned that specifically the end of the. Um, the the death the death rides of Manitoba yeah. <laughs> that's the sketch you want yeah kicked out of Canada Brandon yeah. Albatross sending him back to Seattle um, go work for Amazon yeah that was for his class that particular comic but yeah I follow all all that shitty writes on the internet I love it I mean yeah the the circumstances under which I first met Frank were like special to me he I, I was I had like a special year of study at the School of Visual Arts after I went to ACAD it was like mm-hmm. a weird kind of uh, not a bachelor's, just like extra study, like take whatever you want. And Danny Dell was teaching a business of comic class. Okay. Uh, he was like showing contracts, bringing people in to talk about business. That's <laughs> so rare in comics yeah. schools, I imagine. I've yeah, about that class. Most people, like most of the students, I mean, I was in like David Mazzucchelli's studio class and like a lot of the students came over there into the business and I think they thought it would be like more business of like getting into Marvel or DC or something like that. But his was more about like getting into syndicated like newspaper things and like just publishing contracts in general and <laughs> the no- time machine back to the 40s guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they brought in like yeah i think some people were like confused about it but it was a really interesting class and the night before he brought frank santoro in by coincidence i was just like via like some random google image search i came across this article that this guy had written about like how like alex ross is kind of bullshit and like like, this is why his work sucks. And, like, I'd sort of never read something quite like this. Like, was that on the old Comics Comics? Yeah. Day? And, like, I was like, whoa. This Frank is like, got a lot of trouble for that one. I was like, this is, like, a cool article, you know? Like, he's 
he just like doesn't care. He's like taking them down. A lot of the points are valid. I'm like, okay, this is a cool article, and I like remembered it. And then the next day, I went to class. I didn't even like remember the name of the author. I'm like listening to Frank talk, and he starts like bringing up Alex Ross and just like shitting all over. Him. I'm like, holy fuck, what's Alex this? Ross do to this guy? I'm like, this is the same guy that I read the article of last night. And then I was like just listening to him, and he was like really charismatic and like standing up, like you know, fuck this, fuck that, like fuck Marvel, like all this stuff. I mean, more eloquently than I just did, but like really like getting charged and like this this I looked around and the students were like like shocked right. by him. They were like their jaws were on the floor, you know. It was like everyone was exhausted afterwards. <laughs> was like, Holy shit, this guy's amazing. He stayed with Brennan for a week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same kind yeah, of deal. Was fun. Um, it was interesting because also in one of your comics I remember you having that artist character um, mentioning how uh, he's kind of figuring out the subject of what he's going to do in his comic and he and in and, and the the subject in his art he's going to do and at one point I remember the line like uh, you know I don't white I don't want to do something that's just in the image why not just take a photo at that point and I was thinking that seemed like a commentary on that type of art yeah yeah exactly yeah you know yeah and like you hear a lot of this stuff in like art education and stuff like that but there's times when you're like oh I'm, in, I'm a cartoonist like this is how it's supposed to be and then like yeah Frank will say something it'll click and you can like have it both ways kind of right have you managed to get like do you do you the the thing that that always um, is interesting about Frank is his kind of mathematic approach to panel layouts because I feel like if I ever thought of it that way, I would just stop drawing pages because it's too it's too much like uh, you know thinking about the uh, the organs and skeleton of someone when you're trying to have a conversation with them. Yeah, well, I like that. Like I I still do the geometry thing every time I start a book and like. I do the layouts, do the geometry. Like, I did all those workbooks he suggested, and, like, I'm way into it. Like, and I really, honestly don't really, like, I don't think there's, like, a practical, like, specific... I th yeah, I think people in that, they look for, like, oh, what is exactly this doing? Like, what is the study of this doing? Like, what am I understanding? Is this, like, a legitimate thing that, like, if you use geometry, is it therefore better or something like that? I don't think that's quite what it's about. It's, like, it just, like, allows you to understand what's happening and be able to, like, look at it differently. But I don't think it actually, like does something specific it's like like reveals some things you know right and it's yeah and like but i love that kind of work like like doing the compass and the measurements and like you know working on like a grid for like a really long time or something like i like doing that like i like that work process right and i noticed on your original pages you also um um like uh i know you it's really cool that you put up your your kind of you can see your process pages like um for the wolverine for a lot, a lot of his work, you you put up um, scans of the pencils and the coloring process, and yeah, like I saw it for the Wolverine, even the Punisher one, you had like notes that you could see on the yeah. Well, you know, it's like good stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, on Sunset People, I did that where I have like three different versions of it. Oh yeah. Like I have one with like the that. line blown out. Um, I just think they're like sort of different versions, like but they're still like readable. Yeah. Like they're st they're they're like roughs or production or whatever, but they. Just looking at them on their own, they could just be like a comic book. Like they don't necessarily have to be like the reps or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really changed my um, perception of the work to go back and see the originals because it, you know, I read the color inked one uh, first, and then went back and looked through the entirety of the first ones, and I was surprised at um, it. It kind of reminds you that someone drew it. Yeah. Like with the whiteout and everything. Well, I almost like the one that has like no line work and like empty speech balloons in it. It's just like these like pleasant looking color swatches like. Oh, yeah. together and you like get a sense what's going on just people talking no big deal 
you know, I almost like like that one the most. It's There's like, relaxing. When we were in New York, Panther had a show that was like that where it's no no ink, like just the images without the outlines and stuff. That was really interesting. And I think I was kind of getting that same vibe off of that. Yeah, well, there's some, you know, I see people post, like, they're coloring underneath, and, like, sometimes they're incredible looking, like... Yeah. They look so good, like, um... Malachi Ward, is that how you say the first name? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah fantastic. Been posting, like, these, like, color separations for some comic or something like that, and they're, like, stunning looking, like... I would be happy if there was, like, a comic that just looked like that the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I first see, like, older... When folks would do colors by like painting on a transparency yeah and once you drop the line it like looks great yeah it's really amazing yeah I mean, it's really interesting going back to akira the who's the the american colorist of that was it oh, steve, steve Olaf? Olaf, yeah yeah steve Olaf would sell his um like before he would do the computer colors he would do like really pretty or they watercolor or acrylic or something versions it looked so much better than yeah the yeah. computer version um, and I also think about, you know, there's some of those videos floating around the internet, like Mobius using a Wacom tablet to like color and paint and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, whenever he starts putting on the black line work, as much as I like love his line work, the, the colors are so nice that it's like sometimes a shame when he's, right. like, putting that container on it because they just like work really good on their own. Yeah. And it also gets into the idea of like how bizarre the idea is that everything has black holding lines when yeah. reality has no black holding lines. It's just like arbitrary thing. It just came from like the print industry. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's just like at this point, it's like a bit of a habit. If anything, like it's not necessarily always applicable. Yeah. I mean, it has like, it's great. And like, looks good here. looks good there, but it's like not necessary or something. It's just like, looks, right. looks good for a particular. And you, in your work, you do that too, where you drop a lot of the black lines and just use color. Yeah, I mean, like, in a perfect world, I think, like, the maximum amount of, like, black drops, like, the better, sort of, and, yeah, but it, yeah, it's, like, hard, like, I'm conscious of it, like, being a habit for me, and it's even still, like, really hard to not think like that, like, it's a totally different thinking process, like, I've tried to right. draw in, like, straight color, and it's, like, really hard. Right. So it's, like, not the same thing at all. But it's also really, really interesting to me how you use, um, you do a lot of lines with shadow, mm -hmm. it's almost this, um... I don't know, almost like a crumb underground comic style thing. Yeah, yeah. Is that, um, it, 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 I was, it's not even a question. I was just kind of <laughs> looking through your work and kind of surprised at how you're using black lines to show shadows, even when it's a work in color and how well it works. Like it almost looks like accidental on purpose artwork. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think when I'm doing that, the thing I'm thinking of the most, I didn't mention this when I was mentioning influential comics, but one of them was um, my uncle when I was like six or something, bought me a comic book, and I'm not sure if he knew what he was buying me, but he bought me like a hardcover like Weapon X book, the Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, nice. And like, it was like shocking to me. I thought it was like a horror movie, you know, and it was like detailed and like had a lot of blood in it, but because it was it was like the nice hardcover edition it was printed on glossy paper but i think they must have used like the old newsprint inks but it had this like incredibly garish like pink blue yellow kind of look to it mm -hmm. it's and, like, the the colors that Wizard smith wanted to use for that were actually like specific to be printed for newsprint like he yeah won't sign or at least when he was signing things he wouldn't sign uh the collected edition because he wanted it on newsprint yeah that's what i understand and but that version i had i just thought that's you know that's what i wanted to look like and since i i didn't have a lot of experience with newsprint comics like while i was young they were like mm -hmm. less and less common uh 
I just thought that's how it looked, and I thought it looked good. Like, I liked the look of the garish colors with, like, the intense line work over it. Because I look at the old one now, and I'm like, oh, it's, like, pretty muddy looking. You know, it's, like, the line and the color and, like, this texture. It's, like, pretty, like, fades into the background. But when I think about that kind of line work, I think about these, like, garish colors underneath. Oh, that makes sense. I, it, I actually can see the Barry Windsor Smith stuff in your work and wouldn't have... I think that's what I was thinking was crumb. Well, crumb for sure. Like, also, like, that's exactly true, too. But, like, when I was younger, like, Barry Windsor Smith definitely also. Hmm. And, like, Barry Windsor Smith in regards to color. Like, I think that's how I think about color under line work. Right. Whereas Robert Crumb's more like a black and white on its own type of thing. Right, certainly. And I guess you, you, you seem really into drawing uh, cars in an almost underground comic style. Yeah, well, I, honestly, there's, like, nothing... If I'm going to, like, doodle and stuff like that, which I don't do too often these days, it's going to be, like, funny cars, usually. I don't know. I want to tell you about that. It's, like, trying <laughs> funny cars. Uh, that's good. Um, oh, I wanted to ask about the uh, about the, the character's limbs. The the, the, um, the wiry limbs. In the, oh, okay. Was that... Was that uh, where, where did that idea come from? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I think it could have come from something I had looked at at the time, but it's like one of those things that just kind of like, like the comics based on like four or five things that I had like quickly drawn and kind of liked and I like mushed them together. Like, I honestly don't know. Like, because later in the story and, and Sunset Evil, later in the story, um, she puts on actual human looking limbs. Uh-huh. And I was actually wondering at the point was like, is he tired of drawing these? <laughs> no, I like, I liked drawing them. Uh, I think it was more about the gloves. Like, I wanted to draw those, like, Mickey Mouse gloves. Oh, yeah. And I, like, I had to, like, justify drawing the gloves. So it's like, oh, she's got these, like, weird spindly limb things. That's, of course, she would have, like, gloves on the end of it. Like, that's, like, obviously... Obviously. It's a bit silly logic, but, you know. Yeah, I know. It, it kind of makes sense. That was, like, I think that was the pattern of thought. So what what were the, like, uh, like, when you approach a comic like that, is it very different than... Um, it it feels like a lot of your comics are are coming from very different places, even though, and is it, is it the influences that you're taking into it, or is it more just the process that you're doing them and the changes, or is it both? Uh, I think it's a real time and place thing. Like when I look at them, they have like a strong emotional like quality for me that like represents like a very specific time and place. Like I think like the last few years, especially uh, the circumstances of my life have been like changing frequently and dramatically that like. You know, when I look at that comic, it's, like, such a specific time and place and therefore carries, like, an emotional quality. And, like, I don't know if that carries over into, a, like, a reading of it, if, like, a reader will feel that. Right. But it's just, like, a, yeah, that's all it is. It's just, like, a time and place. And, like, a lot of it has to do with what tools I had available to me at the time or, like, how much free time I had at that time or where I was or who I was hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Like, who, like, if I'm hanging out with a particular person, I might get more pleasure in making the type of comic I think they would enjoy when I'm somewhere else, I might, like, the environment might affect, like, how I want to, like, project outwards, maybe. Like, right. Do it's, you, like, pretty vague. Do you think much about the, um, the finished thing when you're working on it? Like, do you think about something being for web or being for print? Uh, I do, but I don't think about it as hard as I used to. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm copping out by, like, kind of doing both. Like, I feel like sometimes if I'm doing anything for web, it should just be for web. Like, bit of a purist attitude but I haven't done anything for like purely for web in a while uh, right. the, the nip thing was like purely for web but the Domo Suzuki one yeah but like I mean 
they sort of design the parameters of that and they wanted like pages. Like if it was up to me, it would have been like a long scroll or something. Mm -hmm. like did you and uh, Ronald Wimberly interact after after you did the name? Did you talk to him at all about it? Not specifically. Like I was I was slightly uncomfortable, but like even doing the whole thing beforehand, and I had like sort of emailed him, like talking to him about it, like telling him. Like, make sure it was okay, like, asking, telling him how I felt about it. And I didn't hear back from him, like, directly, but, like, afterwards, he, like, was, he put it on his Tumblr and had kind words about it, but he didn't contact me, like, specifically or anything. Yeah, I really enjoyed that being a conversation in comics. They're diff they're very different things, too, though. Like, I think it's another thing important not to conflate the two issues, yeah, well, that was my worry. I mean, yeah. like, what we are talking about was, like, tangentially related. And, like, the circumstance, the circumstances under which how those subjects were brought up were similar. So, I, yeah, I didn't want to, like, like be talking, like, as if that was, like, talking about the same thing as his. Because, like, what happened to him, I think, was, like, far more insidious, you know, right. like, immediately insidious. But for folks that don't know, um, since we're going pretty inside baseball here, okay. Ron did a comic about when he worked on an X-Men comic. Oh, um, She-Hulk. She, no, 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 this was an X-Men. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it was specifically an X-Men comic, and his editors wanted him to lighten the tone on a uh, Hispanic character, a female character, um, want to make her look whiter in color tone. And uh, Ron, being a black cartoonist, um, really you know, was challenged by this and challenging the editor about this. Um, what does this matter? You know, and so just kind of went into like what does this mean when you're lightning characters and because lightning is a big thing it's a big conversation and um what's this mean that you have to make character whiter but you can have a green character that's four different shades of green and no consistency yeah it's really it's really interesting and marvel's reaction to it was of course horrible and um yeah. but but it was interesting how he did it in um it created a really interesting conversation because he was very honest in the work, and he talked to us on the on the Ink Studs about it too a little bit, and was was harsher about it. But then seeing him interact with people on Twitter it was really interesting because he was like unfortunately in the position where he had to play politics a bit, and people mm -hmm. would write him and be like, you know, what what's going on? Like like you know, I don't think this editor's racist, and he would be like, no no, you know, I'm just saying, you know, I'm not calling him out. I'm just saying that this is a thing, mm -hmm. and it was uh, it was frustrating that people weren't kind of copying to an idea being bad, even if the person wasn't bad that was doing it. Yeah, well, it seems like that's what that kind of thing usually devolves into. It's like people are worried about, like, a person being blamed or something. Yeah. Um, but I think he's, like, yeah, I think he, like, handled everything really well. He's been, like, it's very, like, eloquent in that way. And he's, like... Yeah. Like, he's, the, the comic's, like, pretty amazing, like, the way he decided to structure it and, like, get the point across. It's, like, yeah. Very yeah, I thought that was really... Stylistically. Really smart. Really brilliant, too. Because it doesn't look like his other stuff at all. Well, he's he held back a lot, like you're right. Well, he's definitely a guy that jumps around on different different styles. But uh, and so your comic was was you talking about a similar experience as far as bizarre, arbitrary rules that uh, that Marvel has. Yeah, um, and yours involving it in relation to sodomy. Right. Uh, yeah, and like, yeah, this is like a funny story I tell people. You know, like I've told this story to a few people. It's like. It's more like interesting, interesting information I happened to come across, really. Right. And yeah, one of the people who work at the Nib like had heard this story and like knew it, and they specifically asked me to tell it in like relation to this. Um, so they they came to you. Yeah, they came to me. Not you going. I got to do a response. No, I mean, although like once I read Ronald's, I'm like, oh, like it's not such a big deal to like 
like at first I was kind of like weirdly didn't want to like secret about it. Yeah, like, oh, it was this weird little story. But after I read his, I was like, oh, it's like no big deal, you know. I can just like talk about it fully. And then the nib contacted me, like almost right after I had that thought. That's me to do. Um, yeah. Now it's. I want to also get it very because it's not the fact that Wolverine is having anal sex with a woman. It's that he's having sex in a position that could be construed as anal penetration. Yeah. Right. Which well, is like he, any type of sex almost. I don't know if you want to do your comic, but a lot of it, I, in, in digging around, my understanding was it was from a Brian Michael Bendis comic where a woman was having, like she was trying to have like kind of some kind of uh, like violent abusive sex when it was with a black superhero. Yeah. And it um, it kind of, it was implied that it was anal sex and and obviously the racial implications of her like sleeping with a black guy to, in a way to harm herself was bad mm-hmm. and and uh it's, it's always this stuff's always really cartoonish because you know in relation to like uh the editorial response to ron's comic where they were like you know how dare he throw shade on the on the <laughs> on the wonderful a shadow a shadow yeah on the you know he's like we've got storm <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um the he like bendis also denied that that was even what was going on in it but it was interesting because that seems like the only um reasoning they can have for that but but yeah it's just kind yeah, of yeah who knows why and like also it was explained to me like as if it was a rule and like who knows if that's true like maybe that was just something to like get me to change how it looked right you know like i, I don't really know i mean i didn't i didn't want to draw wolverine having like body style six like particularly like it was up to like i think some people thought that i was like arguing for my right to like draw wolverine having sex but my attitude was like it would be like hypocritical to like privilege a certain type of sex if you want to be like cutting edge and like show sexuality and stuff like that, you know. And if you are going to show Wolverine ha- having sex, you know, chances are he'll be going at it animalistically. Yeah, like kind of dude in character or something like that, you know. Yeah, I don't see Wolverine being a sensual lover. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's let's not. Who knows? Let's not. Uh, Maybe it's rude to presume. Yeah, let's not. Let's not presume. Sorry, I don't want to speak for you. Well, here's let me let me bring this up, and this is going to lower the interview to the point that I always lower them to. I know we've been talking about Wolverine. If 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 Phoenix, um, if Phoenix can read Wolverine's mind, and maybe she like can see that deep in his heart he's a sensitive lover, and not you know. Did Phoenix join the Hellfire Club? Um, I don't know. It's it's unfair because Chris Claremont <laughs> makes everybody like a little s enemy. <laughs> I was just, I was just, sorry, we've gone way off topic. I was just benefit of the doubt in Wolverine as a sensitive lover there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm willing to believe that. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, let's just, Wolverine as a sensitive lover is canon. That's just. Good. That's from Alberta. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's Canadian. Alberta's in Canada. No, I'm saying he's Canadian. Every member of Alpha Flight, sensitive lovers. (laughs) Beautiful, slow lovemaker. Even Puck. Oh, especially Puck. Okay. Um, so Treasure Island. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Oh, so and in relation to Treasure Island, is that is that a book that? Because um, you mentioned before, uh, your work almost being like time capsule of, of of a kind of where you're at emotionally when you're working on yeah. it physically, is something like that uh, difficult when you're continuing a longer story and your yes. life is changing? Yes, very hard. Uh, yeah, like I don't know if it's obvious with that book that I was like kind of stuck in a small town. You know, like, 
it's about these people like stuck somewhere like skyping with a lot of people like, right that's sort of what i was dealing with at the time i mean i wasn't so conscious about doing that but yeah like these days it's like if i'm not feeling that at the time it's like i have to kind of like get there the hard way and like mm -hmm. think about it again you know it's it is it is harder to like draw back and like reach from that again is that changed how the story's being approached like what's going on out or what's going to come no I, I do i do have like a sort of sense of like what i was doing with it when i like first started and i can i can like continue to follow that like certain details change or like you know i felt like the second one sort of like changed tone a lot in some ways for me like personally and it, you know it's sort of like more there's like some family stuff going on in that one i think i was like you know amongst family a lot when i drew that particular chapter it was in the same place so like it has an effect on each chapter but i think i can like keep it sort of consistent in general Right. There's also a lot of stuff in in your comics in in uh, where you'll you'll do a lot of things that are really specific to comics, like showing somebody's cell phone is like an invisible thing with just words on it. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I'm interested in kind of your process. Do you end up doing a lot of like like kind of how does your how does your layout process and your writing process work for this stuff? Oh, it's like it's hard to talk about because it's like really. Uh changes every time I guess you know and like I throw out a lot of versions I try something I think it's a good idea it's not and then usually by the time I finish it I'm kind of like winging it you know mm -hmm. like on like loose pieces of paper I kind of draw it all out almost stick figure like pretty quickly or even in like the borders of the pages right and by that time I have like a really good mental idea of what, I, what I'm doing because I did like a lot of unusable like bad versions or something mm -hmm. like that so it's like pretty flexible and it's more about like the general mental tone or image as long as I follow that and like keep that as a rule or maybe there'll be like a particular drawing I drew that like like holds the right information or like put that on the wall and like keep it in mind you know right Does like, it... that's the most important bit I think oh just kind of keeping the the tone that like yeah that mental emotional image of like what's supposed to transpire does the amount of time that you take on stories vary or is it always kind of similar? Yeah, it like varies radically. Like something Treasure Island I can do in like a month, but like sometimes a twelve page story will take me a few months, you know. And often I try to draw it in a different way, like different paper, different tools and like takes a while. Like I love like learning how to do it differently, like taking the time to like figure out what doesn't work with like certain papers or whatever, certain formats, like trying any like page shape or something like that do you feel like you have a standard that you fall back on that that's kind of your beginning point to jump off from yeah i mean well not really i mean the standard is like the old-fashioned way of doing it where there's like tight pencils and then like line work on top of it sort of like light boxed or traced or whatever like that's the standard but i generally try to avoid it mm -hmm. you know the dream is to do the like just free-handed thing like if i can get to a point where i never have to do like a drawing twice that would really be the best thing i think that's like the ideal right but like i can't do that so i like you know come up with these weird methods where it almost seems like i'm not doing that like i try not to trace you know i try to like not look directly at a drawing i make like i feel like it loses when you like do it twice it like loses some of the energy right. so i try to have like the first one be the one i use if i can but it's really hard yeah and i imagine that ties into to you even showing your pencil or your the the colors separately from the from the finished thing yeah like i you know there's that like special quality that no one can define like a sort of fresh thing that i see in a lot of other people's work and sometimes it's in their rough sometimes it's in the final like some people just everything they produce looks like that right um but yeah that's sort of the idea and like the process is perpetually changing to like accommodate that somehow i mean there's no directory like usually people who have done stuff like that you think like 
hear stories like Jack Kirby or Mobius are able to just draw like straight up on the page, no big deal. But you know, if draw like Fantastic Four or like Blueberry for twenty years, it's like not too unlikely that you'll be able to do something like that. But if you can't do that, you have to like. I don't know, figure something else out. Yeah. Well, I was think... looking at one of the things and I really felt a lot of Blueberry influence. I think it was like Punisher. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, one of those books, I'm sure. A lot of what I do has that like embedded in it. Do you find, do you have books where you have like direct relations to other, like to specific influences? I mean, yeah, like the Sunset People one, if you, the layouts are like very, uh, like Nausicaa. Like particular, I was like, "Ooh, I want to do layers like that." Oh, interesting. I was specifically thinking there's the, that great page in that where they were riding on the motor- motorcycle together, and I was it felt a lot like Jaime Hernandez's work. Really? Okay. I mean, I wasn't thinking that consciously, but I, you know, I like his work a lot. Like, so, I'm, but yes. almost just the backgrounds, just the way you drew the city. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that one was. Um, <laughs> I was actually I, I was writing on the internet today about how I was reading that comic, and I was just like. Um, it was hard to get through because there's a couple pages in it where I would just stop and be like, holy shit, what's he doing here? Mm. And it was like kind of like, uh, I don't know, it was good. It was a good frustrating. Well, one of my rules for that book is that I like live scouted the backgrounds. So I was like, there's oh, nice. some family in LA and I'm like, I would do like a comic in LA. It has like really nice light. Like the whole idea was to do like a comic that has the right light and like the right like scene. So I just like went on a walk and like used the locations I found on a walk sort of. So did you finish it in LA or just started there? Uh, I just started it. Yeah. I finished it in Calgary, I think. LA is really unique that way. Like, I don't know if you guys remember when we were there, the lighting there. You know? Yeah. I, I agree with really you. Different. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, um, the sun kind of bakes everything. Might be that smog too, you know? Yeah, well, it's cool, too, because it's one of those... Oftentimes, I find that cities... Um, in The cities that are portrayed a lot in fiction um, aren't often portrayed very accurately. They have, like, a fake version that everyone talks about in the yeah. real version. And, and I like that that story actually does feel like yeah. the L.A. that I like to visit but wouldn't want to live in. Yeah, I mean, I love fake versions of cities. Like, one of my favorite movies is uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, I thought that was shot in the Bronx for sure. It was, like, it was filmed here. Yeah. Was it filmed here? Yeah. Oh, I thought maybe it was filmed in like Hong Kong because there's nope. one scene where they go on a building and there's like a mountain in the distance. I'm like, what is this? Is we got mountains right there, dog. Okay, wow. <laughs> I thought it was like in Hong Kong. Even. Maybe parts of it were. I mean, movies are not. Nah, it was all the downtown okay. side. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I love like movies that are shot like different. The cities have like totally changed, you know, and they'll put like very like New York graffiti on the walls. Yeah. It's like a bit off, but it works. It's like very much a cartoon. It's like yeah. a never-ending story was filmed here. Yeah. They say it was New York, and like the movie starts with an alley. There's one alley in New York. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you know, those Alex Sinner comics. I believe they hadn't really gone to New York when they were drawing those. Oh like, yeah, you know, and like those, those are like a really seemingly like texturally like a correct version of New York. Yeah, right. I like, like their version of New York good. better. Same um, with, um, I think uh, Jacques Tardy's uh, Bug Killer. Right. Know, Tardy stuff feels so New York, though. But I think like, he's, he's using, using photos, so too, yeah. Like, yeah. But, like, I love how um, the Muraza Sampaio stuff is, like, it's like this dirty Argentinian version of New York. Yeah, and, like, yeah, and like talk about perspective. They really, like, bend things, so it's, like, you get a good look at this trash can, good look at, like, um, like the street signs, get a good look at, like, 
you know, Hare Krishna's over here, like, they just make sure they include all the bits that are, like, essential and, like, bend space in order to do so. Whereas if you're, like, wearing for a photograph, it's, like, whatever happens to fit in that photograph. Right. There's a thing that they do, this is maybe off, but there's a thing that they do in Sinner that I think of specifically as their type of panel, where it's, um, where it's something where there's, there's, like, a far, there's, like, a far away shot of the building the characters that you're paying attention to are in and they'll show another storyline happening in the foreground right the construction workers i mean it was like a bolt in the eye yeah exactly yeah. yeah and the dialogue is still continuing in the background but then the foreground has a little arrow being like a guy getting getting a bolt in the eye and then a woman's taking a photograph and it says like pulitzer winning photograph mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah and they'll take great care to like make every single depiction of like a person like a really interesting looking depiction like like virtually every person they draw could be like the stars are in comic strip series like they look interesting in yeah they're not they afraid to do ugly lines which is something i felt like um and if you have a lot of um you have a lot of showering in your comics <laughs> huh, okay. i remember reading two in a row that both had showering and um and i was, it was interesting how a lot of the stuff you draw is very very clean and pretty and then the way you're drawing water was almost like this kind of center style um i don't know ugly almost but but in a good way yeah like I'm like really heavily influenced by like those comic books and yeah, they transition in and out of like sort of whatever they want at the moment. And it like has this great effect and it's usually like I, with them, I find it's like, for me usually like correct. Like it feels like, you know, what word you want to use like authentic or something like that. Right. But yeah, they like really bend it to like almost the limit. It seems like when, when in dealing with like a sort of like representational story. Yeah. I wonder what that stuff looks like to people that don't draw. Yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know, like, um, if it, like, just looks ugly to some people. Like, some of it is, like, later stuff where he's, like, really getting crazy, like, the Billy Holiday book. Like, yeah. Like, I think that looks great, but I think it's, like, a bit less accessible than, like, the early Alex Sinner stuff, maybe. But, you know, yeah, like, I think it's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, it's certainly, like, um... I, I think it's less exciting to me because it's kind of topical with the Sinner stuff, and I feel like we're going into, like, a whole other land. Hmm. I don't know, the Billy Holiday one's so, um, it doesn't feel like it has any connection to real history, even though it does, because it's so weird. Yeah, but the, like, mood of it is, like, really a special kind of mood, like, it has this, like, sort of grimy mood to it that's, like, unique, you know, it's, like, a more, like, eloquent mood than, like, what, like, Sin City is doing or something like that, like. Yeah, yeah, I'm certainly much more, um. Well, that's, like, talking about, complicated. You know, yeah, I mean that's like what love and rockets are bringing up strangers in paradise. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that, but I think that's interesting because um, both of those things are almost like the same thing done for different audiences. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's like a simplified or like distilled version of it, maybe. Yeah, or maybe the wrong parts have been distilled, depending. Yeah, or you know, maybe for some people it resonates uh, better to have you know maybe strangers in paradise connects with someone more than uh, love and rockets. I hope not. <laughs> Sorry. Was that too low? Well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Terry Moore is probably not, like, sitting there being like, oh, these guys are into the Hernandez brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You, you do perfectly nice comics, Terry. I'm just... Yeah. I'm being a prick. We're interviewing him next. <laughs> <laughs> so you have the Church Islands 1 and 2 up from Breakdown. Mm -hmm. One's number 3 coming out. Um... Uh, it's supposed to be like, like they, they told me when they would like it. I think it was in like the summer sometime. It was for like a particular convention. I wish I could tell you about one, but probably 
Elkaf. Uh, which the London one? No, it wasn't. I don't think it was London. I think it was something. But anyway, yeah. Treasure Island is something that you'll collect eventually. Yeah, that's the idea. Like the idea is to like, collect it with Breakdown Press. Mm-hmm. I anticipate something like five or six issues. Um, right now, I'm doing them one a year, but not opposed to like picking up the pace if I just like want to get it done or something. Right. Is 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 uh is doing indie comics or kind of the indie comic scene and publisher is important to you as far as your work or does it do you think about the audience in that respect or is it kind of more about the work than just related to yourself yeah it's it's more of like a selfish attitude like in relation to myself i don't think about the audience too much when i'm hooking up with publishers at all and that kind of thing it's like a sort of emotional relationship like if i'm feeling good with them like right those those, like who your peers are yeah, you know, like, um, I sort, when I put the Treasure Island thing online, I just sort of said, like, cutely, like, oh, looking for a publisher. And they're the only people that emailed me. You know, I just chatted with them for a bit, and I really liked them, and they had, like, a good attitude. They were, like, casual. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel, like, really comfortable with them and, like, trusting. Like, if it's, like, a turns out to be a bogus project, like, I won't, like, regret any of it. I'm just, like, happy I, like, met them. They've been, like, really nice. So, like, that's, like, a great situation for me. And, like... You know, I was sort of, like, taught to think that, like, that couldn't happen and, like, a lot of professional relationships are, like, strained and, like, awful and you just, like, deal with them the best you can, you right. know? And, like, I'm taught all these, like, bad things over time and, you know, I'm, like, just recently learning it doesn't have to be like that at all and you can just sort of, you know, be patient, really, and, like, take things slow and, like, find the, find the people you need to find and, like, sort of wait for them. Right. Do you feel like you have a direction that you are, like, are you at a place right now that, that you're kind of content in, in the, in the, in the type of work you're doing? Or you feel like you're working towards, because you're doing, you're doing a lot of short story work Mm -hmm. as well. And that almost feels like a, like, just kind of the structure of a lot of artists' careers is like they kind of start doing short stories and then work into longer form. Yeah. I mean, like when I was younger, I was like, I better do like some long books and stuff, but and, like, I'll do them, I guess, and, like, I have some, like, longer books planned, but it's certainly not, like, a necessary like, career trajectory. I mean, it's stuff like that is more determined by, like, economics, I find. Like, right. But, yeah, I'm, like, pretty happy doing what I'm doing. I don't feel, like, pressure to go one way or the other, really. And, like, I'll just sort of, like, play it by ear as I go. And, like, probably naturally that would mean, like, longer books. It's, mm-hmm. like, more relationships form or whatever. But we'll see. Like, I might make a longer book. It might be, like, terrible. I'm, like, don't want to do it again. You know, who knows? <laughs> So, but yeah, I feel like pretty content, like at the moment, you know, like I don't feel too heavy obligations in any direction. And, you know, like part of the benefits of being in this like economically like weary generational cultural spot is it's very like liberating. Like I feel very calm. It's like, hmm. like what's the worst that could happen? That's like, good. Is someone going to like take away my house? Like, that's a, like, I don't own a house. Like, oh, right. You know, what, what could anyone like take away from me? <laughs> I went for 40 years without doing a long book. Yeah, it's very different styles of work. I almost feel like... Um, but his, like, one-pagers are basically a long book. Like, they're yeah. like, so intense. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important to for folks to remember you don't have to, like... Just because you're making comics doesn't mean you need to make blankets. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, and, and like... Yeah, that pressure is, like... You can, like, see it in people. It's not good. Like, right. I, I, like when I was younger, I thought I would, like, try to make, like, a long book or something and submit to publishers... And I didn't, and I was weary of it, and I didn't, and at the time I'm like, oh, like, I'm not very good at being professional, like, I kind of chickened out of doing that. But in retrospect, I'm extremely grateful that I, like, knew to not do that. Right. At the time I thought it was a weakness, but now I'm like, that was, like, the 
completely the right move. Like nothing would be worse than like getting a book deal you're like unprepared for. Right. That would be like a nightmare. I've heard stories. Hasn't <laughs> worked well. For yeah. No. If you can avoid, um, I mean, it seems kind of ideal that you're, um, your kind of bad interactions with publishers seems to be on fairly short projects. Yeah, you know, it's like, if it is a bad relationship, it is going to be, like, a short project. Like, right. It'll just end, conclude very quickly. Like, right, because, yeah, I feel like comics, um, it's it can be kind of, like, the grossest end of it can, can almost, like, scare away some of the best and brightest. Mm, yeah. But, you know, if you just, like, I think if you just, like, know what you're doing ahead of time, like, know what you're getting out of it, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of, like, it's, like, so sort of like being in a bad relationship you just like know your limits and then you like know when to like walk away kind of you know right it's like it's like everything's fair it's like it's not you it's me yeah it's like no offense but i gotta go sort of right so like yeah i don't feel like too weary even of like you know commercial comics or anything if i was gonna like do any more work in it like i just like know my boundaries and like, mm-hmm. i know when to cut out and i just pr- try to protect myself as much as i can ahead of time i tell them like like i won't do this or we'll do this right and that like if they don't good. go for it, it's like fair enough right, right. um i feel like we got a, a hell of a lot here connor um do you have anything else um i think i've gone through I've <laughs> <laughs> i'll think of something as soon as we stop recording simon yeah. Oh, I've just been absorbing it all. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, quiet over there. Person yeah. I haven't met yet. Yeah. Welcome. Um, thank you, Connor, for uh, coming over here while you've been in town. I really appreciate this and uh, really happy to do this. Yeah, thanks you've for having been, me. You've been a much requested uh, interview guest. Oh, good. I hope I don't disappoint those people. I, guess. I don't think you have. I think good. this has been really great and I really appreciate it. Reminder, folks, um, you can check out his work, which will be linked with this interview as well as on the study group website and um, Treasure Island from those fine boys of Breakdown Press. Yeah, um, yeah. people always ask me if I have stuff in print, but yeah, the place to go is Breakdown Press. I think the website's the best spot. And then also a book from, um, does Secret Headquarters still have that one comic they did? Uh, or they sold out? I don't know if they're in print. I don't think it was like a huge run. It's like yeah. pretty small, but you, you know, there's some stuff around, but it's mostly Breakdown Press. And the study group book as well. Study group 3D. Yeah. It, yeah, you can't like flip through it so you wouldn't like spot it, but it's in this like 3D sealed package comic thing. I haven't actually picked up that book just out of my own jadedness because my vision 3D doesn't work. Oh, we have some like relaxing non 3D spots for like those who's inclined to avoid 3D. Robin's mutant powers, he doesn't have the 3D goggles, don't work on him. Yeah. Looking I back. really wish I could have got the better power flight would be awesome <laughs> reading women's mind but no 3D vision <laughs> you're a creep <laughs> uh, yeah those two powers that's... in particular combined yeah. are like very insidious <laughs> <laughs> alright thank you so much Robin's got a plan <laughs>